Hello everybody and welcome to Kickback, the global anti-corruption podcast. Enjoy today's episode of this joint production of the Interdisciplinary Corruption Research Network and the Global Anti-Corruption Blog. If you want to get in touch with the show, follow us on Facebook or Twitter using the handle at KickbackGAP. Welcome to this special episode of Kickback. My name is Christopher Starke. And my name is Niels Kubis. Why this special episode today? First of all, we have the 20th episode in the books. Yeah, the reason to celebrate. Let's cheers to that. And uh, another reason is the year is coming to a close. 2019, the year where we started podcasting, is now finishing. And to wrap up, we thought we'd give you a little review on our experience with podcasting both content wise but also how it has been for us to do this so what can you expect for the next 20 minutes or something we would take the opportunity to look back but also to look ahead on what we have planned for the upcoming year exactly so let's start with a little review and we had the idea of kind of telling you the listeners why we do this podcast in the first place Okay, what we started with uh, in... When was the idea born? Do you remember? It was a while ago. I remember that we basically said, well, there seems to be a lot of written content on corruption, but at the same time, there's this trend towards more audio content and people basically consuming also academic input via audio channels. And we thought, well, there seems to be very little in the podcasting scene that specifically targets corruption and specifically from a more academic perspective. Exactly. And and I think, well, for us, at least, uh, it is the case when we approach new topics, be it corruption, or for me, when I did my dissertation that was on solidarity, the first thing when you when you come across a concept like this, you want to get a very broad idea of what this concept entails and what it means, what is written about it and so on and so forth. So the first thing that I do usually is to type in solidarity podcast or corruption podcast or something like this to get an overview of the topic in your everyday life pretty much. Exactly. Like uh, the way I do it, I, I would listen to all kinds of content I could find on corruption when I was doing my dissertation on it. And I was a bit sad to not find any podcast that would allow me to get an overview both of what has been done from an academic perspective but also sort of how this insight or these insights can be used to to fight corruption and at the same time we have founded a network of of young interdisciplinary corruption researchers and we thought why not try to galvanize and try to basically use these Uh, this emerging interest in corruption and this network that is already in place to launch a podcast. And that's how we began. I remember traveling to the US, meeting Matthew and proposing that idea to him over breakfast and he was directly excited. So since then, us three, so Chris, me and, and Matthew Stevenson have been doing this. And this is also where we found our niche in the podcasting world. There are already good podcasts on corruption. For example, the Textcast or the podcast by Trace, Bribe Swindle or Steel. Another highly recommendable podcast is Power Corrupts by Brian Klaas. He offers in-depth 
features about topics related to corruption or caused by corruption. And uh, it's really worth listening in. Yet I think what we add to the existing podcast is that we clearly have a very academic focus on the topic. For example, a lot of guests that appear on Kickback, they work in the academic field and portray their perspectives on the topic. Right, and of these in-depth interviews, we now, looking back at these 20 episodes, have started to sort of cluster them into to chapters, if you like. So we're going to give you a short overview of the five main chapters of Kickback, And there will be an accompanying tweet that helps you to sort of cluster the episodes. And maybe also, as always, feel free to share them if you particularly like one part of it. So chapter one, we called Basics. So what does this include? We started off with uh, a heavyweight in corruption research, Susan Rose Ackerman. And she elaborated on the principal agent theory of corruption and a more economic view on the, the topic of corruption. Besides Susan Rose Ackerman, we also had the sort of antidote or the more recent perspective, most famously voiced by Bo Rothstein, and that is the collective action theory of corruption. And I think the two together give a nice little overview of the field and maybe the two most famous theoretical accounts to explain why corruption is so present in some countries and less present in others. And then I think a very quotable phrase uh, voiced by Paul Haywood in the episode was uh, that we have to learn how to manage corruption. What was your main takeaway from that interview? Yeah, no, it was it was very insightful. And I think every time you get a chance to, to listen to Paul Haywood talk about corruption, it's very insightful per se. But in this particular interview, I took one thing away and that was sort of that we should stop talking about corruption, like the broad term. Um, we should rather try to specify what type of corruption are we talking about, which sector are we talking about, and really trying to get more into an in-depth, but at the same time also more nuanced and contextualized understanding of corruption. And in the interview, he also mentions concrete tools, how we can do that, and which questions we as young researchers should actually ask to get the most useful answers when we try to study corruption and so together these three are basically for us like the basics so if you ever get into corruption you want to start we recommend maybe starting with these three well i guess you gave the perfect segue if you are a young scholar so if you really want to to approach corruption from an academic perspective we would suggest start with these three episodes Susan Gross Ackerman, Bo Rothstein and Paul Haywood because they give you the overview of the academic view on corruption. And they give you basically a theoretical tool set, right? So you basically get the tools to understand it, maybe to also start reading the literature with a bit of a more informed view. Now, as a second main category, as a second cluster, if you will, the second chapter is topics and perspectives on corruption. Now, what we mean by that is basically that some people have different perspectives on the same phenomenon and some people in our podcast have been focused on one particular topic in relation to corruption. Let's pick out a few examples. We're not going to cover all of them. But we had, for example, Oz Dinser presenting his work on perception-based measures of corruption. And that sort of reflects a very, I would say, traditional approach in corruption research to try to measure corruption, which is very, very difficult to measure, by using the perceptions of people. And one famous example here for is the Corruption Perception Index by Transparency International. And the interview sort of discusses the pros and cons of that approach. 
Yeah, and then we have the methodological approach by economists, so behavioral economics. I think you are the expert there, so maybe you elaborate a little bit on the interviews you took with Shaul and with Christina Bicchieri. Yeah, I mean, for me, this was sort of very close to home because that's the, the type of approach that I've been using myself. And that sort of tries to measure corruption by creating a situation that mimics corruption and introducing that situation into the lab and then seeing how people deal with this situation. Do they go for a bribe, for example, or do they collaboratively cheat? And the behavioral perspective and this perception-based perspectives, they can nicely sort of complement one another. And, and then we had the episode by Kevin Davis, who suggested to look at corruption not only from a regional, from a national perspective, but rather see it as a global or at least at the supranational network of different actors who uh, engage in corruption. So, so maybe a more global or at least international view. Exactly. And I think it, it sort of comes from the very dominant perspective of, for example, looking at country differences in perceived levels of corruption, right? But at times, it's really difficult to say where corruption actually occurs in which country, right? You have by now many large-scale corruption scandals that span across national boundaries. And I think his book and the, the podcast that we, we recorded with him nicely shows this perspective that corruption also increasingly becomes globalized. And... If we want to wrap up chapter one and chapter two, they are all academics at this point, right? So all of this episode, they cover perspectives that uh, academics took or take on corruption and how they approach the topic. Then in a third chapter that we summarized a little bit was the focus on specific regions. And here we started off with Paul Lagunes, also an academic, and he focused on corruption in Latin America and for me that was a very insightful interview also because I didn't know much about anti-corruption in Latin America and he really opened my eyes with regards to specific remedies. I think the other noteworthy interview in this category was the interview with Daria Kaleniuk. So for everyone who now gets interested or sucked into corruption due to the uh, impeachment procedure against President Trump, If you're interested in the Ukrainian perspective on this issue, we highly recommend this podcast because bear in mind, the current president of Ukraine, Zelensky, he is basically the counterpart of uh, Donald Trump in this whole potential quid pro quo. And Daria gives a nice overview of corruption, but also anti-corruption in Ukraine. Yeah, great. So I think be besides these regional perspectives and the research, but also the practitioner's work that focused on particular regions or countries, we also had, for me at least, a very uh, new insight into corruption. And that was the perspective of investigative journalists. For me, as coming from a more academic perspective, I obviously always knew that investigative journalism is very important also to uncover corruption, but I never really got an insight into how concretely this actually works, right? So how do you go about finding a case, researching a case, publishing a case? And the interviews that we recorded there were, to me at least, the most insightful because I learned so many new insights and new perspectives. You coming from a communication science perspective, how was it for you? Yeah, for me it was the same. I mean, um, I knew about it, I wrote about it, about all the different ways news media, and especially free news media, can contribute to curbing corruption. 
But I mean, we are also very lucky to have two Pulitzer Prize winning investigative journalists on our podcast. But really going into the details, how they research a case, and especially the episode by, by Barbosa was really interesting because all was out there. All the documents were freely accessible. There was not really that he went undercover or something, or there was a data leak or something like this. He just did a very, very good job by putting all the information necessary for a story together under very precarious conditions. Exactly. I mean, he lived in uh, in China at the time, and he was under threat from different stakeholders in this story. So I thought that was very good to add a little nuance and a little practical perspective to what I only read about in papers that free media and access to free media is important to curbing corruption because it creates an atmosphere of accountability and so on and so forth. But I thought these detailed information were really important to get uh, the, the whole story, to get a whole overview of the, of the power of transparency and the power of news media in particular. And I think, I mean, to pick up on your point, I think it's so interesting because transparency in and of itself is not enough. I think that was another really interesting insight, right? Like data just being available doesn't really help to, for example, fight corruption, but you need people like David Barbosa or like Frederick Obermeyer, another investigative journalist that we were lucky enough to have on the, on the podcast, showing that often the data that you might have at your hands might just be too big to handle, right? He was behind the Panama Papers. He's one of the main um, journalists uh, uncovering the, at least in Germany and Austria, very famous Ibiza video, showing that these data leaks that have become so massive in size are often too much to handle for one journalist alone. Mm. And I think his work is also super inspiring when it comes to the collaborative element of the work. Him being part of this international consortium of investigative journalists that helped to actually make sense of this vast amount of data. And by now, we slowly start to see consequences coming out of these revelations. So that's basically the first four chapters. The fifth chapter is probably the one that, at least when I present my corruption research, is always the first question I get. And that's basically, what can we do about it, right? Like, what are the anti-corruption strategies that we can get from doing all this research? And I think, again, we were really lucky to have several very, very unique and insightful perspectives on the question, how can we fight corruption? I want to pick out the first one, actually, one of the first episodes that we had was with Delta Dallagnol, lead prosecutor of the Lava Jato investigations that started off in Brazil, but as we sort of noted earlier, by now are not a national a national affair anymore. It has spanned all over Latin America. And I think it, relating back to the investigative journalism work, it was quite interesting to interview him at a time before several allegations against Dalton himself surfaced. For those who are not familiar with the case, a few weeks after we aired the episode, There were very serious allegations against Delta Dallagnol by the Intercept revelations by Glenn Greenwald, who was very critical of the whole investigation. And I think his interview, together with the interviews by Frederick Obermeyer and David Barbosa, who come from an investigative journalist perspective, they actually they fit quite nicely together. And then I think, to me, it was a very insightful episode as well, was the one with Sergei Guriev, who was the chief economist at the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. I think 
this episode in particular was nice because you had this sort of combination of academic work that Sergei did, but also a very practical perspective of someone who actually has hands-on experience in anti-corruption. So I, I very much enjoyed that episode covering a lot of topics relating to corruption in many post-Soviet societies, but also more recent work on how 3G internet connection actually influences perceptions about corruption. Another very interesting insight that I gained from the two interviews uh, with Elise Bean and Deborah Laprobot were first the idea of beneficial ownership, that um, it has to be clear who is eventually the beneficiary of a company, like who is not, not the person who is in the books necessarily, but who is behind that company. Right, and I think that really also relates back to some of the previous episodes by, by for example, Frederick Obermeier showing that shell companies can often only get away with, for example, tax evasion because beneficial ownership registries are not available. So you don't actually know who owns a certain company and therefore you don't know who actually benefits in the end, uh, who receives the revenues from a company. And therefore, I think that was also a nice combination of perspectives. Elise Bean and Deborah Leprovot, former FBI agent, right? Mm -hmm. Like showing how the hands-on work sort of tracking and and eventually prosecuting corruption actually looks like. Yeah, and last but not least, actually one of my favorite episodes is the one uh, with you and Raptel. You already see that you two know each other quite well, and I think the atmosphere that this episode creates is very nice. And she tackles corruption from a completely different angle. So for us, it was quite difficult to also put her interview into these categories that we came up with, is because she wants to teach children, but also adults, I would say, uh, through the means of children's books. She wrote two children's books on corruption. Yeah, puts the, the problems of corruption in a very good storytelling that is also suitable for, for children. And I thought that was very inspiring. Really a completely different angle to approach corruption from what I usually read about in academic literature. That's true. I mean, since then, I have given away the book Bakba and Ja De, the two very, I think, insightful and creative approaches to make your kids become the ones who hold you accountable, right? So I think that's a very, very nice way and uh, of, of approaching anti-corruption. And yeah, to me, this was very nice to have the opportunity to interview her because she's been an inspiration for me as well. I think in total, we basically now have, I would say, a very diverse set of interviews that cover different bases when it comes to corruption. Having said that, we're not finished yet, right, Chris? I mean, we, we are still going strong. The next year is around the corner and we, we have plans for 2020 that we want to share with you. Yeah, so this was only just a preliminary conclusion for 2019 and we still feel like Kickback is just getting started and there's a lot more potential to tap into. Great. So yeah, as, as Chris said, we want to give you a little outlook of what we have in store for you. I mean, so far, Matthew, Chris and I have been doing this sort of as a side business to our regular jobs as being academics. And yeah, we I mean, we recorded the interviews with a very, say, basic device when we tried to do telephone interviews. I hope you forgive us for the bad sound quality, but we're still growing and we still want to basically extend, but also become better. And I think there are several ways how by engaging with you, our listeners and the community, we can actually achieve that goal to grow. 
So the first thing that we did this year at the ICRN forum was to ask the participants what guests they would like to appear on Kickback. Unfortunately, Trump was the winner in that category, and this is quite unrealistic at this point, at least. But some very good advisors came in via Facebook, via Twitter, and there are already some interviews scheduled for 2020 where we want to also pick up on these suggestions that you gave us. Exactly. I mean, actually, the very first ad interview after the ICRN forum was with Alina Mundiopipidi, who was actually on top of the list right behind uh, Donald Trump. So we re very much appreciate any sort of feedback and any suggestions for guests, for angles, for any sort of uh, scoops that you have. We very much appreciate it. So please send us emails to info at icrn.org or follow us on Twitter at kickback. GAP. Having said that, we obviously live from good reviews, right? Exactly. And this cannot be overstated, I think, because it is so much easier to find corruption podcasts when they have many and good reviews. We mentioned this in our episode, but we would really appreciate if, if you like the podcast, if you give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts and on Facebook. Or wherever you actually get your podcast, right? Like Stitcher, Google Podcasts, I mean, you name it, right? Spotify, exactly. No, in general, just spread the word. If you like the, the podcast, mention it to colleagues, mention it when you go uh, to a conference. Uh, this is how we become more known and how we can engage with the corruption discourse that is out there. We want to be close to, to what is actually happening in the, in the world at, at the time. And I mean, we said we have a lot of things planned for 2020. One thing that we increasingly want to do is also hear the more junior researchers' perspective, right? So we don't want, just want to have these very eminent, leading, world-leading thinkers and doers on corruption, but we also want to hear people that maybe wrote their dissertation on corruption, right? Or people that are up and coming and sort of have been very passionate about corruption in general, maybe corruption research, maybe some practical work. So if you yourself feel like you would be a great guest on the podcast, please feel free to reach out. But also if you know people who you think would be very suitable to be interviewed. And as a final thing, I mean, we are currently not receiving any external funding. And I think that has its, its I would say it has its pros and cons. Right? <laughs> On one hand, we are completely autonomous in who we interview, how we interview them, and the content is completely in our hands. At the same time, it's sometimes a bit of a scramble. So if you know any sort of grants that we could apply for, feel free to send them over to us. Just let us know. Yeah, to give you just a very uh, short example, we are still using freeware to cut the interviews and this is sometimes a hassle. There is some good freeware out there, but uh, to have a professional program that could facilitate cutting uh, and also editing in general the podcast would make uh, our lives a little easier. So for 2020, we have created a Patreon account in the, in, this, in the spirit of the holidays, right, the season of giving, if you feel like you can spare any buck and you want to support us, feel free to do so. And we will use this money for our running costs, for our subscription fees, for our travel fees, or for some advertisement on the internet to make the podcast a little bit more known to, to the, the people, world. To the world, yes. Exactly. I think on that note, it's a good point to wrap up. I think we've covered all the things that we wanted to cover. I can only say it was a really, really insightful, inspiring, and also I have to say 
very much encouraging journey. I'm, I'm very thankful to you, Chris, for doing this together. I completely agree. I always look forward to our meetings uh, when we discuss our new plans or when you write me a message. Oh, I just recorded the interview. Or when you tell me, oh, I'm traveling to this and that city for a conference. And the first thing is, as do you know anybody who I can interview there? So this is just very, it is a lot of fun. And also working with Matthew together, a senior scholar who knows the business. He's such a big help because he has the connections and he has the skills to ask those questions that needed to be asked. I Absolutely. Think. That was the second person I wanted to thank as well. I mean, working with Matthew is a, a true privilege. And one more person we would like to thank is Jonathan. He is responsible for our, let's say, corporate design. He does the title pictures for every episode. He is responsible for our logo and we thank him for, for his support on that, on that note. Exactly. Very much, very much so. And I think besides all of those people actively creating Kickback, we obviously thank you, the listeners, and we hope that you enjoy the podcast. We hope that you have a great holiday season and we look forward to engaging with you in the upcoming year 2020. And on that note, I would say, happy, happy holidays. Happy holidays. See you soon. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. If you want to help us out, leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. It makes it much easier for others to find the show. 